Let's look in our Bibles this evening to the book of Revelation to chapter 1. Book of Revelation and in chapter 1. I'd like for us to read verses 4 through verse 7. Let's have a word of prayer before we read. Our Father, we do thank you again for another day of life, another time to worship you. We realize that you're good to us each day that we live, and your providence rules over all. We're thankful that you love us with that everlasting love. We're thankful in love you chose us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask you to help us as we look into your word. I pray that you'd help us to see Jesus, help us to see who he is and what he has done for us. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. We've looked at this passage of Scripture many times over the years. I want us to look at it again this evening. And notice especially John's doxology. John's doxology in these, these words that we have read. You'll remember that a doxology is just a short formula of praise and honor and giving glory unto God. And we have that in this passage of Scripture. And I find it in many of the hymns that we sing. There are, are many doxologies in the hymns that we do sing. I'm going to get a hymn. If you would, look in at page 268. I thought of this one in particularly. When we sing this hymn, I, I think of it as a doxology, especially uh, verse 1, 2, and 3. Look at hymn number 268. It says, We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. We praise thee, O God, for thy spirit of light, who has shown us our Savior and scattered the night. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who hath borne all our sins and cleansed every stain. To me, that's just a doxology in the form of a hymn. In our text, in Revelation chapter 1, I'm going to point out verse, verse 5 and 6 in particular, we have one of John's doxologies. Notice toward the end of verse 5, it says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, 
and hath made us kings and priests under God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It seems as if John was, as he was receiving this revelation, was just overcome with joy, just as he wrote and mentioned the name of, of Jesus Christ. He, first part of verse 5, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, first begotten of the dead, the prince of kings of all the earth, and just the mention of the name of Jesus, he has this doxology, and there are many of these in the scripture, and there are several more in the book of Revelation. I'm going to point out two or three of these. First of all, in Ephesians in chapter 3, you would note this doxology that we have in the writings of the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse 20, Paul did write, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And in this, Paul has many wonderful truths, but it is a form of a doxology. I'm going from there to the book of 1 Timothy and in chapter 1. In 1 Timothy and in chapter 1, if you would notice verse 17. Now under the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You look back to John's doxology that we began with in Revelation and in chapter 1. You'll notice as John is writing here, that his attention is fixed totally upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just in the words where he says unto him, his, his mind and attention is upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I've mentioned this to you before, but that old saying is that sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. But I think also sometimes we miss the tree and all we see is the forest. All we see is the whole and don't see the individual. Sometimes it's possible for us to be so fascinated with the work of Jesus Christ that we look past the person of Jesus Christ and focus our attention upon the work. And while I would never belittle the work of Jesus Christ, he is greater than all of his work. And our attention should always be upon him. In verse 5 again, John says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. In verse 6, the latter part of the verse, he said, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. I am, I am thankful for the love of Christ that is mentioned here. I'm thankful in verse 5 for this washing from sins, this cleansing that is mentioned there. But I'm even more thankful for the one who loved me. 
and the one who washed me from his my sins in his own blood. I'm thankful for the actions that are, are mentioned in verse 5 and in verse 6, but I'm more thankful for the one who performed the action. And again, the attention should be upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And you look at verse 6, the same could be said there. We can never be so caught up in seeing what he has done for us that we fail to see him. Again, it's easy to look past and just see the works and what he has done. But John's attention here was upon the Lord Jesus Christ. There were many things that were revealed under John in this revelation, but the greatest of all these was the person of Jesus Christ. In studying the book of Revelation or just reading it, if you do not look for Jesus and have your mind upon Jesus, you're going to be led astray. Again, in verse 1, the book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not so much the revelation of end-time events, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And again, that's where our attention ought to be. I noticed in verse 17, the words of John, he said, I saw him. I saw him. And again, it's Jesus Christ. I want to read verse 5, verse 6. I'm starting in the latter part of verse 5. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Notice, if you would, in chapter 4. In chapter 4 and in verse 8 and verse 9. Chapter 4, verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. Again, the emphasis here is upon Jesus Christ. In verse 10, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns uh, before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. In chapter 15 and in verse 13, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power, be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and under the Lamb, forever and ever. In chapter 7, and in verse 12, 
I'll start at verse 11. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Again, praise and honor to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 1 and in verse 5 again, John wrote unto him that loved us. Now, without just a little bit of, of word study, it'd be easy to be led astray just in those words. Because the word loved in our English body Bibles in the past tense, but in the original language, it's in the present tense. And it's actually unto him that loves us. A love that had no beginning, it has no ending, it has no interruption. Unto him that has always loved us and always will love us. But in verse 5 also it says, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. It's important here to notice the order of the action, the order of what is stated here. He loved us before he washed us. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He loved us when we were dirty, filthy, defiled sinners. At our very worst, Jesus loved us. And because of that love, he washed us from our sins. He washed us from our sins. Again, it's Jesus that is doing the action here and not us. He washed us from our sins the cleansing agent that he used. He did use a cleansing agent. And it says here he washed us from our sins in his own blood. He washed us from his, our sins in his own blood. Again in verse 5, unto him that loved us. I thought about this when I was reading this and just considering the wording here. John, the writer of this book, when we hear mention of that disciple whom Jesus loved, no one has to tell us who it is. We know it's John. When John writes unto him that loved us, he does not have to say this is Jesus. We know he's speaking about Jesus. When he says unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, he did not state here specifically that that was Jesus, but who else could it be? It has to be Jesus Christ. It has to be him. Now, when I read this in verse 5, unto him that loved us, the him that loves continually loves us. The attributes of the Lord are as infinite and immutable as the Lord himself. 
This love that is mentioned here in verse 5 is a love in which Jesus could not possibly love us any more than he loves us, for it's infinite love. Nor could he possibly love us any less than he loves us. It's something to consider the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he loves us with an infinite love, he washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now you'll notice in verse 5 and what's stated also in verse 6, this is not something that he hopes to do. It's not something he is going to attempt to do. This is an effectual work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, there's just no doubt that this is going to be accomplished. And I'll, I'll mention again the cleansing agent in verse 5 is the blood of Jesus Christ and Nothing but the precious blood of Jesus Christ could ever accomplish what is mentioned in verse 5. There's no work of man, nothing that we could do to do that. There's nothing that the angels could do to accomplish this feat. It is only the Lord Jesus Christ. John said in verse 5, unto him, unto him and to him alone that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. In the 1800s, a Baptist preacher named Robert Lowry wrote a, a hymn, Nothing But the Blood. Nothing But the Blood. I wrote down part of the words of that hymn, and you all are familiar with it, what could wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my <coughs> righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It would be a wonderful thing if all who profess Christianity really believe that, that it's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In our text, John wrote unto him that loved us and washed us, and that word wash, you remember, means loosed us. He separated us. He loosed us from our sins in his own blood. The same John wrote in 1 John chapter 1 and in verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Cleanses us from all sin. In this doxology of John that we have here in Revelation chapter 1, it is giving honor and glory and praise and thanksgiving to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just for the love, but for what that love produced in us. What was the effect of that love? The love of Christ always has an effect. 
the effect, what that love produced was our being washed from our sins in his own blood. But as John writes this, even as Paul would write in many of his writings, there's much more. There's more to it than just what is stated in verse 5. Because we also have verse 6. Not only did he love us, and he does love us, and he washed us from our sins on his own blood, but hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He hath made us kings and priests unto God his Father. Now I don't think any of us truly appreciate what is stated there. Do you realize if you are a true believer, you're kings and priests? It's something that should not be taken for granted or taken lightly. This is just as, it, as much an effectual work, what is stated in verse 6, as that which is stated in verse 5. It's a result of the love of Christ for us. He not only washed us from our sins, but he has also made us kings and priests unto God. Look back, if you would, to 1 Peter in chapter 2. 1 Peter and in chapter 2, and in verse 9, Peter wrote, But ye are a chosen generation. Then he said, A royal priesthood. Not just a priesthood, but a royal priesthood. We're made kings and priests unto God. In the Bible, it would be very unusual to have a priest to be a king or a king to be a priest. But Jesus Christ hath made us kings and priests unto God. And we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And the purpose is stated in verse 9, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Our text says in verse 6 of Revelation 1 hath made us kings and priests. As kings we shall reign with him. As priests we are qualified to offer up spiritual sacrifices unto our God. Every true believer all who are capable of worshiping God in spirit and in truth have been made kings and priests unto God. Every true believer is a king. Every true believer is a priest. And when you have an assembly of priests, such as the Lord's church, you have the priesthood, a gathering together, an assembly of priests. And it's very important we understand this. As an individual, as we uh, come to church services, if assuming everyone present is a true believer, everyone there is royalty. 
everyone here. We're all saved or royalty. We're all priests. As we come together as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, a group of priests form a priesthood. An individual is, is a priest. But as we come together, as Peter wrote, your royal priesthood unto God. And again, I'm going to go back to 1 Peter one more time. In 1 Peter and in, and in chapter 2, notice what he said in verse, verse 5. Ye also as lively are living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And there's much that is said in that one little short verse. We are, are uh, living stones. In verse 4, to whom coming, speaking of the Lord, to whom coming unto a living stone, Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. And he said, ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house. What would that be if it's not the Lord's church? Are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood for the purpose of offering up spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable unto God but only by and through Jesus Christ. Back in Revelation again, and in chapter, chapter 1, I notice how John ends the doxology in verse 6. He says, Amen. He says, Amen. To me, it, it means something when you find the amen in the scripture. As John is writing this, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Surely every blood-washed saint can join with John in saying amen to what he has written here. My desire for myself and all of God's people is that we will always give praise and honor and glory unto Jesus Christ for the effectual work he has done on our behalf. Again, I think when many come to the book of Revelation, they're looking for something else other than Jesus. And they will go astray. They will go astray. As we look at what he has done, and again, we never belittle that. Loved us, washed us from our sins, made us kings and priests unto God. But don't forget who did the act. Never look past Jesus for anything. But again, he's greater than all of his works. 
Again, I look forward to verse 7. John said, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Then he said, Even so. Amen. In verse 7, we have that blessed hope of the saints, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're told things in particular about that coming. He comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him. The soldier at Golgotha that pierced his side with that sword, he's going to see him. I've often wondered, what's he going to think then? They also which pierced him are going to see him. I just wanted to mention this doxology in Revelation 1. I started to bring a sermon on it this coming Sunday, but I'm going to do something different. So I thought I would mention it to you tonight. And again, the main thing is look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Always have our minds upon him. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the one that loves us and what he has done for us because of that great love. We're thankful for our position in Christ that we have before you even now. We're thankful that you view us through your Son, Jesus Christ in his work on our behalf. Again, help us to always be looking unto him, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.